Our reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, second chapter, and starting at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. I'd like to invite Mike to join me. Good to have you, Mike. Uh, many of you will know Mike. You've had a brief introduction, but uh, you were here for a number of years with Caroline, and it's great to have you back Thank with you. us this morning. We look forward to what you have to say. Let's, if I may, I'll just pray mm, on our behalf for you. So, Father, we thank you for Mike being here this morning. We thank you for what you have uh, been telling him and, and, and directing him to bring to us this morning. And we pray that as with Simeon, who had the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit on him, you will be on Mike this morning and with him as he speaks to us. So direct what he says to us 
and we pray for ourselves that we'll have open ears and minds and hearts and be receptive and be willing to uh, be obedient if necessary. But we just pray that this will be a time of great blessing as Mike now speaks to us. And we give you thanks for this and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much, David. Thank you, Andy, for your welcome. It's lovely to be back here. Uh, this was our spiritual home for coming up for 10 years, and it's lovely to be back with you, having been away for a couple of years now, living in Leamington Spa. Uh, so, if we can have our first slide, please. Uh, we are looking during this time at the theme of waiting, so Chris tells me. And he's asked if I would speak today on the story of Simeon and Anna that has just been beautifully read to us by David. So it's a good theme, isn't it? Waiting. It's a good theme because we're not very good at it. Some of you who remember us will remember that Caroline enjoys a cup of tea. Um, I don't often drink tea, but Caroline, well, unless it's really awkward to refuse it. Uh, I was once served a cup of tea by a, a very a person who was really struggling, and that was fine because she forgot to put the tea bag in it. So I just had the hot water and the milk, and that was fine. Uh, our daughter, Abby, our youngest daughter, also doesn't drink tea, but somehow she's taught me the best way to make a proper cup of tea. And she taught me, she'd heard it somewhere, that you need to leave the tea bag in for three minutes. Ever since then, although I don't drink tea, I've been making tea that way. I use a timer to make sure it is exactly three minutes because I'm a scientist uh, and you can't do less or more. But when I went to purchase tea bags recently, I was dismayed to find that the normal pyramid tea bags that we've been using for yonks wasn't on the shelf. Instead, PG Tips and other brands are available, had uh, started using ordinary rectangular tea bags. So I had to Google to find out why. And apparently, PG Tips have done extensive research and discovered that people no longer leave their tea bag in for three minutes. In fact, many only leave it in for 30 seconds. A majority of people don't leave it in for more than a minute. And so the new bag shape is to let out more flavour in less time. Because we just can't wait. People are so bad at waiting that three minutes is far too long to wait for the cup of tea. And many don't wait more than 30 seconds. So to look at the theme of waiting must be relevant. It must be appropriate because most of us are bad at it. And I especially am bad at it except when I'm making tea. Now, I also like the fact that when we're looking at two of the, I think, the oldest people in the New Testament, Simeon and Anna, Chris feels the need to wheel in an old person to talk about them. Simeon, an old man, his life uh, being close to its end and him being very aware of that. And Anna... 84 years old, seven years married, and probably 62 years on her own if she got married at 15. You'll see from the footnote there's an alternative way of reading it, and you could read that she would actually been a widow for, for 84 years, but that would make her over 100, so it's less likely. 
But whichever way you look at it, both of these two were old, were very old. They had a full resume of life experience, a man and a woman. And they have two really quite small parts in this nativity story. But they are two very significant parts nonetheless. Now, there's all kinds of waiting. We wait all the time. We wait at the bus stop. We wait in traffic. We wait for sleep to come and we wait for darkness to go. We wait for deliveries to arrive. We wait for visitors to come. We wait for workmen. We wait for food in cooking in the oven. We wait for Christmas. We wait for the sermon to end. Uh, we're waiting all the time. Sometimes waiting is tedious, it's frustrating, it's boring, it's energy sapping, it's demoralising. But these two older folks, Simeon and Anna, show me at least four really positive things about waiting. And I want to share those with you this morning. So if we can have the next slide, please. I want to say something to you about persistent waiting. Now, in our churches, quite rightly, we spend a lot of energy in helping people who are not connected with the church or with Jesus in any way to get going in their journey of faith. And that's really important to do, and it's really important that we put a lot of energy and effort into helping people get going. But Simeon and Anna show me another priority that also mustn't be forgotten, and that's helping people to keep going. Not only to get going in their faith, but to keep going. Now, we don't have Simeon's timeline, so we don't exactly know how old he was, except that death seemed to be drawing closer to him, and we just get the sense that he's an old man. Whereas Anna's introduction spells out our age, quite amazing for that time in history. So here are two old people whose persistent faith has lasted a lifetime. Both of them would have been brought up in the Jewish faith. Quite separately, they came to an understanding of the meaning and the hope of a Messiah who was to come. And they held on to that hope for the whole of their lives. And at least for Anna, life had been tough and difficult. There'd been the upsets, the tragedy, the hardship really difficult to be a widow in a society where there's no benefit system. It was extremely hard to, to manage to get by, probably reliant on charity. Living in the temple, a life of prayer and fasting, a little bit like a modern-day nun, perhaps. That's how I imagine her. In one of his letters to the Christians, uh, the Apostle Paul lightens his calling as a believer to an athletics match, race or a boxing match. Now he says he's got a goal. His goal is to win as many people to Jesus as is possible. But as well as having a goal, he's got a fear. And his fear is that having brought all these people on board, he himself will be disqualified. That he won't last the race, that he won't last the course, that he'll drop out or give up. He's aware of the human temptation, a human weakness not to last the distance. 
Now, fortunately, that didn't happen. In one of his last letters to his friend Timothy, perhaps the last letter before his death, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Here for Paul was persistent faith. And here in Simeon and Anna we see persistent waiting. They hadn't seen everything that they'd hoped for. It hadn't all happened. Life hadn't gone exactly the way that they wanted it. Prayers maybe had not been answered. Maybe prayers for years hadn't been answered, for decades. Sometimes things seemed to get worse rather than better. And yet they clung on. And we need to continue to persist, not to give up, to keep going, to continue to run the race even though it turns out to be a marathon and not a sprint. Now, our son-in-law does ultra running. Recently, he was on, in the USA on business, and he saw a 100-mile run advertised. He likes 100-mile runs. So he entered the Cowboy 100 in Nebraska. After 22 hours of non-stop running, he came in as the first male. I say the first male because a woman beat him. Um, but how do you keep going, running for 22 hours without stopping to sleep, just running, running through the day and through the night? It's all about persistence, isn't it? It's all about keeping going. That's the thing I first of all see in Simeon and Anna, their persistence, they're not giving up, they're keeping going, they believed in a new future. And they kept on, and they kept on keeping on. They didn't give up. And that's the first challenge to me and to us. The challenge of persistence, the challenge of keeping going, the challenge of not giving up, the challenge of not letting go and forgetting everything. But there's another thing about waiting I've discovered as I looked at this. And if we can have the second slide or the next slide... Uh, I want to say something about receptive waiting. Because as I read this, one of the things that surprised me was the immaculate timing hidden in this story. Now, this isn't the first time that Mary and Joseph had been to the temple with their son Jesus. Because on the eighth day after his birth, they took him to the temple. That was for a traditional Jewish ceremony of circumcision and naming. That was what Jews always did. That was what the expectation was. And like good Jews, uh, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple as a baby on day eight. But now they've come back again for a second visit because they were law-abiding Jews. And the religious law stated that after 40 days from the birth... The parents were to come back to the temple for both a ritual and a sacrifice. The ritual was for the purification of the mother after childbirth. You see, the Jews had an ancient taboo about blood. And a woman had to go through a ritual after childbirth before sexual activity could be resumed. She also had to go through a ritual after menstruation as well. That was their Jewish law. And then sacrifice, because the firstborn child should be set apart from the Lord in the Jewish law. 
which didn't necessarily mean you have to bring your child to the temple like the child Samuel, because the gift could be acknowledged by means of a sacrifice. And the kind of sacrifice you brought was determined by a means test. A pair of doves or pigeons, as we get in the story here, was prescribed for poorer people. And that included manual workers in their society, like the carpenter that Joseph was. So they came to do these religious things that was part of their law, part of their custom, part of their tradition. But I want to know, how did Simeon and Anna know that Mary and Jesus and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple at that time on that day? I have it on God authority. The temple didn't email out their notices beforehand. Uh, there wasn't a website that you could look up and see what was happening. Simeon and Anna had been waiting for years and years and years. How did they know to be in the temple at this time and to be at the right part of the temple? Jeanette, the temple was bigger than our church here. It was actually built on a 35-acre site. And the main buildings of the temple were big enough to fill 16 football pitches. So what was it that brought Simeon and Anna quite separately to the right place at the right time? Quite independently, because we've no thought that these two knew each other. They weren't friends. They weren't connected in any way. They were totally separate people. But they both turned up in the right place at the right time. And that's what I've called perceptive waiting. Because God had showed them and they'd listened. <laughs> Maybe it was easier for Anna. She lived around the temple. But Simeon lived in the town. He didn't live in the temple. But both of them had been receptive to a still, small voice from God. To the prompting of the Spirit. They couldn't look up a verse in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible to tell them to be at that place at that time. It had to be a personal revelation to them. That feeling, that sense that on this day, at this time, we have to go and do this. And Luke tells us that uh, Simeon was moved by the Spirit. Isn't it easy to forget the work of the Holy Spirit before Pentecost? The whole of the Christmas story is infused with the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Elizabeth, when she went to visit pregnant Mary, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah wrote about a son who was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here is Simeon, a good, devoted, devout man, and the Holy Spirit was with him. The Holy Spirit directed him. The Holy Spirit guided him. So that's what I call receptive waiting. It's active, it's not passive, doing nothing. It's being open to God, open to his timing, open to his leading, open to what God says. I don't claim to be a particularly receptive person. I know some people are. But there have been those times in my life when I knew that at a certain time I had to go and do this. I had to go and see this person. I just had that sense that I had to put other things aside and do something different. And there are times when that proved to be just right. I'll never forget the lady who said through tears, I've been praying for you to come. I had no idea. Or the gentleman who passed away just ten minutes after I prayed with him.
For me, often God has to say it more than once because I'm not good at hearing and listening and getting the message. But it is so important to be receptive, to ask the question, Lord, what are you saying? What are you wanting me to hear? What are you wanting me to do? Where do you want me to go? When do you want me to go? That's what I call receptive waiting. And if we can have another slide, I want to take it on and use another word that is similar but different. So it takes us onto a new level. Perceptive waiting. It's not only about hearing what God is saying as you wait, but it's about understanding, perceiving what God is saying. More than about time and place, much more about understanding. Simeon, we're told, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Like so many people in his days, he longed for the deliverance of his nation. People in Ukraine will know that only too well, and in other places as well. His nation was under the bondage of Roman occupation. Life was harsh and hard and difficult. And he knew that the prophets, the great prophets, the Isaiahs and Jeremiahs and Zacharias and Daniels, they'd proclaim there would be a great day of great deliverance, an amazing future. And Simeon was committed to that and wanted that. But he was perceptive to see that it wasn't just for his nation, not just for Israel. When God did this thing, it was going to be a promise for the whole world, for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world, as well as for Israel, for all people. As we hear in the words of the angels to the shepherds, for all people. What perception, what understanding was growing in Simeon's heart as he was waiting. And then he went further. Because he saw that this great future was somehow wrapped up in the birth of this baby. In the birth of Jesus. This child had an irreplaceable part of God's plan. This child would be the one who would instigate something new and different. This child would be the agent of God's salvation. That was incredibly perceptive of Simeon. And he goes on. Not only did he see the deliverance that was in this child, but he sees the process is not going to be pain-free. In fact, the process he sees is going to be hard and difficult. Not all plain sailing. There will be division. And using language and ideas from the great prophets, he had a perception about the coming of great agony, which we know means the cross. Until then, Mary's life had been wrapped up in the joy of her son's birth. Quite right, it was a happy occasion. There was joy in heaven as well as on earth. But alongside that... She had to get used to the fact that there was going to be pain as well as joy. And somehow these words prepare Mary for what is to come. And as she treasures up these things in her heart and thinks and ponders over them, God uses these words of great perception to prepare her for a difficult journey that's ahead. And Simeon also perceives that his life's mission is coming to an end. He's seen what he's been waiting for. 
He's ready now to leave this world. We get that great prayer known by the Latin words, nunc dimittis. Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is an amazing understanding of Simeon. He'd been waiting years and years and years for this, but it wasn't wasted time. Waiting led to this amazing understanding. As he waited, he was thinking, he was praying, he was working it out, and God gave him wisdom and perception and understanding. And I believe you can use your waiting times like that as well. Use them to great effect. Because perception is a bit like a ripe cheese or a, a mature wine. It takes time. And in that time, you can become so much greater, so much more mature, so much more understanding, so much more ready for what is to come. And then finally, last slide. I'd like, no, not quite last slide, but almost. Uh, let me take this one step further and talk about open-minded waiting. You know, Anna the prophetess, uh, talk about her for a moment. If Simeon's thoughts had been about the need for deliverance for his nation, Israel, Anna's thoughts are a bit more narrow. She was thinking about her town, about Jerusalem, the place where she'd lived, somewhere in this 35-acre temple complex. Her capital city needed to be rescued, needed to be redeemed from the occupying power and oppression of the Roman army. And the thing that really struck me is this. Both Simeon and Anna were able to go against the current thinking of their day. They were able to swim against the tide, to resist the old familiar ways of thinking, and branch out into something new and radical and very different. Because the traditional way of thinking, rescuing, Redeeming their country, their capital city, was it was going to happen by military means. And their leaders drew on military metaphors and their scripture and they imagined a Messiah riding into town on a great horse with armies behind him and defeating the Roman occupying power. And then there would be an almighty battle which would drive out the Romans and drive out the occupiers and restore national sovereignty. That's the way they thought. That's the way they'd been taught to think. That was the way their leaders spoke. It's the story that they painted. A myth that Jesus debunked when he rode into town on Palm Sunday on a donkey, not a horse. And Simeon and Anna seemed to be able to look beyond the way most people thought and see a new and different way. Oh, it wasn't fully formed by any means. But they saw God's work not being done by a military leader, but by this child. They saw that God was working out his purposes in a way that was new and different to what they'd been taught to expect. Simeon saw that God's way of saving the world was not embodied in a new warrior king like David. Not a new military figure who would reinstate Israel, restore its fortunes, defeat its enemies, rule the nations. He didn't see God working in that military battle. Open to God, he saw a new vision. 
God gave him a new way of thinking. It was radical. It didn't conform to normal conventions. It was immense in scope. It was totally unique in its focus. God would bring about this new future through this child, through a vulnerable, poor, humble child. This child would be God's salvation. This child would be God's anointed. Not some revolutionary, not some armed uprising. This child chosen by God. Not just for Israel, but for all people, including all the Gentiles and non-Jewish nations. You know, that was mind-blowingly radical. That was utterly different. Waiting had made Simeon open-minded to God, doing new things in new ways that were unexpected and almost unimaginable. That's what I call open-minded waiting. And I think Anna too had a new way of thinking, delivered from those old patterns of hopelessness. She too could say, it's this child that will set us free. And probably more than anything else, that struck me in reading this for you today. In real waiting, you don't stay the same. In real waiting, you begin to see things differently. You become open to new things. And they may go against much of what you've been used to. They may go against things that most people are saying or things that you've been brought up with. Open-minded to discover new purposes and new directions of God. To see God's spirit working a way that nobody's dreamed of. To see God doing things that you never ever thought he would. Now, that's not the kind of waiting you do at a bus stop. That's not what you do when you're waiting for the lights to change or the plumber to come or Amazon's parcel to arrive. Advent waiting is different altogether. And I just pray that as you wait over these weeks, God will enrich you. God will help you. God will help you to think about the new things that he is doing. So if we have the last slide, it will remind us of those aspects of waiting we've looked at this morning. Persistent waiting, keeping on, not giving up. Receptive waiting, being ready to hear what God is saying when he whispers, do this, do that, go there, ring them, write that letter. Perceptive waiting as you begin to understand what God is doing. And perhaps open-minded waiting when you see God is doing things you'd never thought possible. Going against all the things that others are saying. Waiting is powerful. And I pray that God will be with us as we wait in Advent. Let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, this kind of waiting in some ways is unsettling because it means changes in us as we wait. Lord God, we pray that you would indeed be with us in our waiting. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep going and not to give up. If any of us, Lord, are tempted this morning just to throw the towel in and to say, I've had enough. Help us, Lord, to keep going as Simeon and Anna did. 
We pray, Lord, that in our waiting we might be receptive to what you're saying, that we might hear the still, small voice, <coughs> that we might know when you're saying, there, do this, be there, say that. Lord, help us to hear the specific things you want us to do and to be and to go. And in our waiting, Lord, make us perceptive so that we might understand. Lord, it's so easy just to repeat the things that others have repeated. We want you to work in our hearts and minds so that we understand what you're doing, what you're saying, what your word really means. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us that wisdom of maturity and understanding. And then, Lord, make us open-minded. And Lord, when you start doing things that are different and when you start moving in ways that we didn't think you would, make us open and ready to see new things and to be surprised by you and discover new directions and to discover that the things that everybody's saying may not be the whole truth and that you have other things to do and say that we haven't yet seen. Lord, help us to be open to the movement and leading of your spirit. So, Lord, bless us in our waiting, we pray. And we ask these and all our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.